Mentioning the word rapture today is like waving a red flag in front of an angry bull. The rapture has become one of the most controversial, hot-button issues among Christians today. Hello, my name is C.J. Lovick, and I'm the founder of Rock Island Books, an author and a Bible teacher. And more importantly than any of that, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, who loves the Word of God and apparently based on many of the comments I have received, take it more literally than most. So it will not surprise you that I believe in the literal 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, preceded by the seven prophetic years that are best known as the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70 weeks of years of Daniel that immediately precede Christ's second coming to establish his 1,000-year reign on the earth. It is my belief that all these huge prophetic events cannot and will not happen until after the departure of the church that is most commonly referred to as the pre-tribulation rapture. So let's begin our investigation into this hot topic with a simple question. Hopefully, the answer will realign this doctrine with its original intent, and that is to bring comfort and hope to Christians, many of whom have forgotten that they are pilgrims in this world, and it is not our home. Where did the doctrine of the rapture of the church come from, and who started it? It was the night before the dead, beaten, mangled, and bloody body of Jesus was lovingly taken off the rude wooden cross by two of his secret disciples, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. What most Christians do not know is that before he died, the king of the Jews, Jesus, issued a final end-times prophetic announcement of a future event. The prophet Isaiah, looking ahead over 500 years into the future, has given us a prophetic glimpse of what Jesus the Christ accomplished when he died on the cross of Calvary. Let me read just a few excerpts from the prophecy from Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What I have just read is a small prophetic slice of the voluminous prophetic scriptures that predicted the epic event that is literally the crux or crossroads of all history. Jesus knew Isaiah's prophecy. He knew what it was about, and he knew it was about to be fulfilled. And so with that foreknowledge in mind, wouldn't you like to know what Jesus privately said to his believing disciples just hours before he was arrested and crucified? Something so amazing that could not have been possible at the time Jesus announced it 
and was only put on the prophetic calendar, from our point of view, on the same day that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. So now let's go back in time from the moment Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning to the night where we find Jesus and 12 of his disciples in the upper room where they would celebrate the Passover meal that had been prepared just for this important occasion. Let's see if we can discover, in the hours that Jesus and his disciple were in the upper room, the genesis of the doctrine that teaches what is commonly known as the rapture or the departure of the church. So let's begin our investigation of the genesis of the teaching of the departure of the church as we walk step by step through the 13th and 14th chapters of the Gospel of John. In John 13:1, we read, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. This would be a Passover celebration like no other, an event filled with new revelation, revelation that was lovingly taught to the dull disciples of Jesus who would barely understand what Jesus was talking about, eleven disciples that would soon be witnesses to the most amazing event to ever transpire on the earth, and then, to their utter amazement, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in order that they might bring to remembrance all that took place including the night before Jesus was crucified, in order that they might be guided by truth and filled with power from on high, power that came with both insight, revelation, and a courage that can only be described as supernatural. This was all revealed just before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, and he should depart out of the world and return to his Father in heaven. So we ask, where was the doctrine of the departure of the church first revealed? The answer, in the upper room where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover, on the same day Jesus was crucified. Who was this doctrine of the departure of the church revealed to? The answer, to his own, the ones he would love unto the end. Who was the revelation not revealed to? The answer, Judas Iscariot the one disciple who would betray Jesus that very night. Note that nothing is revealed to the true disciples of Jesus until the one false disciple of Jesus has left to both figuratively and literally depart into the night. This part of the story is carefully declared in John thirteen twenty one. Listen. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And then finally we read in John 13.30, He, Judas Iscariot, then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Listen carefully to the words of Jesus after Judas was no longer in the upper room. In John 13.33 we read, Little children, yet a little while and I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. Now, in verse 36, we discover the disciples' response to the news that Jesus is going somewhere, that they cannot go. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. 
This is the first hint of the revelation of the rapture, according to Jesus. I invite you to notice two things. First, Peter and the rest of the disciples cannot go where Jesus is going. But unlike the unbelieving Jews that can never follow Jesus to where he is going, the disciples of Jesus are given the first glimmer of hope. Jesus tells them that while they cannot follow him now, they will follow him afterwards. At this point, we need to pause in order to go back in time another couple days when the disciples of Jesus had all collectively experienced a what-are-you-kidding-me moment. It happened while they were all just leaving the temple where Jesus had been teaching and while they were on their way to the Mount of Olives. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 24. Of course, no drama can really get going without a Jewish mother, and our drama begins a little earlier with another mother, the mother of James and John, who, along with all the rest of the disciples, were so certain that Jesus was the Messiah on a mission to deliver Israel from the clutches of Roman rule and make Israel the head of all the nations as prophesied in the Scriptures. Here we read in Matthew twenty twenty. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he, Jesus, said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. This, of course, created a what-are-you-kidding-me moment with the other ten disciples, who were obviously unhappy with James and John, and probably a little upset with themselves for not thinking of it first. But the ultimate what-are-you-kidding-me moment came when Jesus went from the perspective king of Israel in waiting to a prophet of doom and gloom who, to the surprise of the disciples, began talking about the destruction of the temple? The very place the disciples thought they would soon be setting up their headquarters as vice-regents in the kingdom of Jesus the Messiah. Judas, who was probably the shrewdest of the bunch, had already concluded that Jesus was not headed in the direction he had imagined, and with that knowledge, purposed in his heart to cut his losses, and as he schemed, to deliver Jesus into the hands of his enemies for the price of thirty pieces of silver. Things were not going as planned for the disciples. That was becoming clear, and yet the eleven would not betray their Lord. But make no mistake, they were having a serious, what-are-you-kidding-me moment. The scriptures inform us that Jesus knew what was in the minds of men. Clearly, the disciples of Jesus were experiencing information overload overload that was producing a tumult in their hearts, and Jesus knew it. The disciples of Jesus had a lot of information to process, and by all accounts, they were not doing a very good job of dealing with it. By simply reading the account recorded for us in Matthew 24, you get the glimpse of the grim images that were filling their minds and hearts that only a few days earlier were full of the optimistic expectations that Jesus the Messiah was about to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem where they would be ruling and reigning the entire world and reigning triumphantly by his side. Mix the evaporation of that expectation with the sorrowful news that Jesus was going to leave them to go someplace they could not follow, and you have a recipe for mental confusion. It is into this tempest and fever of mind that Jesus introduces a new doctrine, a fresh promise, 
a blessed hope that is meant to steady their course, give them courage, and fill them with confidence. And that is exactly what it accomplished. Eventually. I say eventually because the events that followed and what we learn about the disciples immediately after the death of Jesus proves that the eleven disciples of Jesus were having a really tough time making sense of all this. So let's begin by examining the remedy for this as we listen to the words of Jesus word by word as recorded in John chapter 14. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now after listening to all the prophecy about his upcoming death, all the signs of the end of the age, and his second coming to be preceded by the most terrible time of tribulation ever that would include the generation that perished in the flood and the generation that perished in the white-hot sulfur torrent that evaporated Sodom and Gomorrah, after all this, and in all the growing darkness that betrayed men's hatred for their Creator, a darkness that spawned the exceeding wickedness of man as it brought the wages of their iniquity within the prophetic view of Jesus, who had clearly described the coming wrath it would incur. In light of all this, Jesus tells his disciples to calm their hearts. As there is one more revelation he wanted them to grab onto, one more disclosure that would be the wellspring of hope and comfort. Jesus begins with those amazing words that have the authority of all heaven to back them up. Let not your hearts be troubled. But why should they not have troubled hearts, you might ask? The answer is simple. God has a plan for them that is better than anything they can imagine, and certainly better than anything they expect, as their own reason and perspective tells them that this is the perfect time to be troubled, as they see the future the one they had imagined, slip away before their very eyes. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus speaks these words into a storm, every bit as dangerous as the storm that suddenly arose in the Sea of Galilee and threatened the lives of all the disciples as Jesus slept in the fishing boat that all the disciples were certain was about to sink with them in it. Jesus spoke the words, Peace be still, and the storm immediately ceased. But these words of Jesus, let not your heart be troubled, did not immediately have the same effect as it seems little comfort was received that night in the upper room. And Jesus knew that. He also knew that this was the time to make the declaration, as it would soon become clear. These words of comfort are also obviously meant for all the disciples of Jesus down through the ages that include all those who have put their confidence and trust in Jesus the Savior. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, says Jesus, and then adds, Believe also in me. Now here we have a preamble that screams something that almost everybody misses. Do you know what it is? To find the answer, let's look at how Jesus handled revelation regarding himself. The life and ministry of Jesus was guided by and fulfilled a divine template that had been previously revealed in the scriptures. 
So listen to these few proof texts and see if you can grasp the overarching theme. In Matthew 26, 56, we read, But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. In Luke 4.21, Jesus says to them, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Luke 24.27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In Luke 24.45, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And finally, John 5.39, Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Do you see the pattern? It's always the same, well, almost always. In John 2.22, we read this, When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now let's listen once more to what Jesus is revealing to his disciples and see if you notice what is missing. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Did you catch it? There is no mention of previous scripture being fulfilled. Jesus does not rebuke his disciples in order to remind them of the scriptures that prove his words. Why not? The answer is simple. Jesus is revealing something brand new. In fact, Jesus has spent most of the time in the hours they spent together in the upper room declaring to the eleven disciples things that were not in the Old Testament things that would soon be in the New Testament scriptures. Read through chapters 13 and 14 of John, and then ask yourself the following question. On whose authority does Jesus create a new commandment that his disciples were to love one another? What was wrong with the old commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. The answer is very instructive when you think about it. Jesus introduces a brand new commandment that was meant to be the identifying mark of all those that are his disciples in the future. They would love one another. Something to keep in mind as we discuss the rapture. On whose authority did Jesus create a new ordinance that we observe to this day called the Lord's Supper? And on whose authority did Jesus introduce a new eschatology that was unknown to his disciples? Jesus introduces a new vision of the end times that replaced nothing but added something that was unknown to the disciples of Jesus and was not disclosed in the Old Testament Scripture. On whose authority is the new commandment decreed, a new ordinance inaugurated, and a brand new prophetic end times prophecy declared? The answer is, by the authority of his heavenly Father. Notice it was not the authority of previously published Scripture that Jesus would have expected any first century Jew or any of his disciples to know about. Now, I want to be careful, and you will notice I am not saying that this mystery was not hidden in shadows and types in the Old Testament Scripture, but only that it was secreted away in Scripture in order that it might be discovered after the fact, and in support of what clearly is meant to be viewed as newly revealed truth. So when you hear Jesus saying, you believe in God, believe also in me, 
you are to understand two things clearly. One is that Jesus claimed that the Father indwelt him, and he and the Father were one, making himself equal with God, and also that he did nothing, including revealing new information, unless it was in obedience to the Father. So Jesus claims divine authority, and just to make sure his disciples get it, he added the following tagline, If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, Jesus is telling them that this is not happy talk to ward off the depression and sorrow of the disciples. This was truth to be appropriated as gospel. And while it was not immediately transformative, it became that, and much more, once the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit of truth and all the implications of this glorious truth came back into their remembrance. So now let's look one more time at the familiar words of Jesus through the lens of this new prophetic revelation, presented on the day Jesus died. Revelation for what was coming, and what was that? The mystery of the church. This was new information, a new revelation for a new assembly of believers that would be raised up from among both Jews and Gentiles to form a new body, a new group that would eventually be called Christians the body of Christ, and the bride. But let's read it one more time with ears tuned to the prophetic significance and distinctiveness of what Jesus is clearly teaching. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. This new revelation is progressive and it will be filled in with lots of important details as Jesus reveals more and more about this to his disciples, including the Apostle Paul, whose testimony of these additional revelations received by him from the risen Lord Jesus was recorded for us in the New Testament scriptures. So while additional details will be added, make no mistake, the original disclosure of the blessed hope and what we know as the rapture is revealed in a nutshell by Jesus. Now listen carefully to the doctrine of the departure of the church in a nutshell. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. No one can mistake the clear message Jesus himself declares to the eleven disciples. Jesus is going back to heaven. And he wants his disciples to know that in heaven, his father has a house with many rooms in it. And Jesus additionally wants his disciples to know that he is going to his father's house in order to prepare a place for each one of us. And then Jesus clearly tells us that just as certainly as he's going to prepare a special place for us, he is also going to return to fetch us in order that we might dwell in the heavenly home that he has prepared for us, so that where he is, we might be also. Now this is all we would need to know, but God graciously gives us much more information about the rapture event, as he reveals added details to the Apostle Paul, in order that he might pass it on to the church. So if you think the rapture was an idea invented by Tim, left behind LaHaye, or Hal, the late great planet Earth Lindsay, or the Schofield Study Bible, or John Nelson Dispensational Darby, you're wrong. 
These are wonderful men, but they were just repeating what Jesus said. The rapture of the church is a doctrine introduced by Jesus Christ, and if you have a problem with it, as many seem to for reasons I can't understand, well, may I say as kindly as I can, you need to take the matter up with Jesus, who clearly taught it, in order that we might clearly believe it. This concludes part one of the multi-part series on the rapture according to Jesus. I hope it has been a blessing and you can expect much, much more. Rock Island Books is excited to share with you our digital ebook platform, Rock Island Press. This virtual book platform contains all books, movies, and videos published by Rock Island Books and works on your mobile phone, tablet, and on your computer. It even works offline to take and read or study on the go. This is not like your ordinary ebook reader. These vibrant, full color images, charts, and graphics will pop just like they do in the printed versions. This amazing new platform allows us to continue to develop more books and videos and publish them all through this single digital medium. All new books and videos will be available and included in your subscription, and we're adding new titles every month from authors like Clarence Larkin, E.W. Bullinger, John Bunyan, Spurgeon, and more. In addition, by subscribing to our new ebook platform, Rock Island Press, you'll be automatically given a one-year VIP membership status, which provides a reusable 25% discount off any future purchase of books or media printed by Rock Island Books. You can learn more or subscribe to this exciting new platform for only $99.95 a year by going to rockislandbooks.com press or by searching Rock Island Press in the App Store on your device. For a limited time, this one-year subscription to Rock Island Press is available at no charge if you spend $200 or more in the Rock Island Books store. That's right, spend $200 or more at rockislandbooks.com and you'll receive a one-year subscription to Rock Island Press and a one-year VIP membership to Rock Island Books.